the focus of the coalition is we convene the field. This means that there are 13 national organizations that represent the people and the programs doing this work. Again, organizations that represent doctors, nurses, social workers, pharmacists, physician assistants, chaplains, researchers, hospice programs, palliative care programs. Those are all separate, viable, thriving organizations on their own. We bring them together and we say, we are going to focus on what we can do together that we can't do alone. Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Melnick, Executive Director of the National Coalition for Hospice and Palliative Care, or the Coalition. Amy, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, tell us about the Coalition. We are an organization of the national leading organizations that help people who have serious illness or at the end of life. And I do want to unpack those little words because when I say national, we are a coalition of national organizations, hospice and palliative care. For a lot of folks, when they hear those words, they're like, whoa, they carry a lot of meaning or they're not sure what it means. And so I wanted to let our listeners know that those two things, hospice and palliative care, are different. And so when you have a family member who is seriously ill, whether they are a family member who unfortunately is an infant or a baby or a grandmother, there's something called palliative care. It's a team of doctors, nurses, social workers, chaplains who focus on you and your family, your symptoms, the pain, the distress as you're going through a serious illness, you're still undergoing treatments and cures. That's palliative care. In addition, there's something called hospice. Hospice is when you're seriously ill, like when President Carter made a decision eight months ago that he was not going to seek additional treatments or cures. He had an incurable condition. He chose hospice, which is palliative care at the end of life. I know it might sound a little complicated, and that's one of the reasons our coalition exists, is to help the public, help providers, people, even healthcare providers, understand hospice and palliative care and why it's the right decision at the right time for patients and families. So Amy, let me make sure I understand. So palliative care doesn't always mean end of life. Correct. Absolutely. It is for any person, any age, 
any diagnosis, any serious illness diagnosis, but you can have a curative treatment. You can have multiple doctors still treating your underlying disease, your illness, and palliative care is an extra layer of support. A team of folks that are working on your pain, your other symptoms, working with your family members to help you through the serious illness. Amy, let's talk about the coalition. Why a coalition? Because there are many organizations that are part of the coalition and each doing their own thing. So why a coalition? So our coalition was formed about 20 years ago by the leaders of the four main organizations representing the people who specialize in this care and providing palliative care, whether it's in hospice and hospitals and nursing homes, palliative care can be delivered in multiple settings hospice being one of them. So the doctors and nurses and social workers that at the time they said, this can be confusing to people. It's still confusing to people. We know we have a lot of work to do, but we need to focus instead of on our own. And again, all the organizations in our coalition have very powerful and necessary agendas and organizations, but we need to focus as a field We are interdisciplinary. One of the hallmarks of palliative care and hospice care is that it's interdisciplinary. It's not one specialty or one type of provider. It is the doctor, the nurse, the social worker, the pharmacist, the PA, the chaplains. We need to cooperate, communicate, and collaborate consistently so that policymakers and other stakeholders know what it is that this type of care can deliver and how we need to make sure that access is delivered to people more effectively and more efficiently. Amy, as a coalition, what can you do together that you can't do separately? Is that part of the magic? The focus of the coalition is we convene the field. This means that there are 13 national organizations that represent the people and the programs doing this work. Again, organizations that represent doctors, nurses, social workers, pharmacists, physician assistants, chaplains, researchers, hospice programs, palliative care programs. Those are all separate, viable, thriving organizations on their own. We bring them together and we say, we are going to focus on what we can do together that we can't do alone. So for example, what I call the secret is to gang up on the problem rather than each other. As you know, there are sometimes competition between associations for membership dollars, for meeting, for annual meeting revenue, for publications. We don't focus on that. Our coalition doesn't have an annual meeting where we're trying to lure people to. We don't publish a monthly e-newsletter that you need to pay to subscribe. We focus on what matters most from the policy perspective, from messaging, because this will help all organizations. When you go to Capitol Hill, when you go to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Advocacy, we're not going on behalf of one siloed part of the healthcare field. We're going on behalf of all providers and ultimately on behalf of patients and families. Amy, before we get into the things that the coalition is doing to thrive, and thriving you are, let's talk about your journey. So how did you get to become executive director of the coalition? I started working on Capitol Hill when I first came to Washington, D.C. I actually had the pleasure of working with the legendary Claude Pepper. Mm. I was a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed congressional staffer on the House Aging Committee, learned the legislative process 
for several years before shifting and spending the next 35 years working for some of the finest medical specialty societies, healthcare associations, and patient advocacy organizations. I really had the opportunity to see healthcare from the delivery side, from the research side, and before coming to the National Coalition for Hospice and Palliative Care from the patient advocacy perspective when I was at the Arthritis Foundation. And I realized that medical research and patient advocacy, you cannot accomplish your advocacy goals alone. You can have success around the margins. If you have a very narrow focus and you're just representing that one small specialty, and if the government is looking to change something in that small little specialty, you can have some success in the margins. But to have real change that impacts a broader group of people, patients, your members, you need to work with others. And I've seen it consistently over time. So when this opportunity arose to lead a national coalition, it was music to my ears. Amy, the coalition had been around for 10 years, but you became the first full-time executive director. So what's that like to step into the role of an ED where there really hadn't been one before? It is intimidating. One of my values I brought to the coalition and, and embedded within the coalition is transparency. And it is difficult to, in some ways, start something. Again, I didn't start the organization. There was a coalition in place. They had part-time program managers here and there over time. There were four organizations that had become comfortable working together, but it was those four sort of founding organizations that decided we need to get serious. We need to create some semblance of a due structure so we can afford a full-time executive director. And one of the first tasks will be, you know, four organizations providing dues to afford an executive director. We need to bring more organizations that make sense and we need to represent the coalition. So putting all of those things in place, I will say the on-ramp, we were first managed by a member organization. So we didn't get out of the gate. I wasn't hired and said, oh, become a 501c3. We are an independent 501c3. Most coalitions are not. Most coalitions in Washington, at least, are led by other organizations that might be focused on a single legislative objective or a regulatory objective or a messaging objective and are kind of very loose-knit. Some have coalition in their name, but they don't necessarily operate as a coalition. Every coalition, you've seen one coalition, you've seen one coalition. We operate as a 501c3, but that took a couple of years. That was another task to establish all of those internal processes of administration that come with becoming an independent 501c3. I will say those early days, this was at a time when there were folks in Congress that were disparaging hospice. And there was a lot of healthcare talk about, quote, death panels. It was a very different time. And some foundational work of building trust with the field itself, with the organizations involved, with what words we're going to use when we talk about this life-saving work, this quality of life work that we do, or that our members do. Some of those early days was relationship building. And working with organizations to develop the value of a coalition. And by doing that, we were able to grow the coalition. So Amy, today you've got two and a half staff, 
Tell us about how you've been able to grow the organization. How many members do you have and how are you funding this? That is, I would say, for any organization, one of the biggest challenges. There are different revenue streams that organizations could explore. For our coalition, what made the most sense for us was we have a sliding scale for organizations based on size. We don't have hundreds of members, but our organizations, it's membership dues. Our board made a decision not to have corporate funding. I've been in other organizations that do that. Our board felt because of the work that we do, they felt it was a conflict of interest to have any type of corporate funding. And so from a transparency perspective, it was a limiting factor. However, we then looked to philanthropic grants Uh. and said, what are some of the key things if we need to do How can this be supported? So one of the most significant impacts this coalition has had over time, before my arrival as executive director, while I was here as executive director, and I hope in the future under the leadership of a new executive director, is the creation of the National Consensus Project, which created the first set of clinical practice guidelines for quality palliative care. And under my leadership, we emerged the fourth set of guidelines, which included the involvement of over 50 national organizations coming to the table to deciding on what these, not just standards, but what every person in the United States, what kind of care at the, if you have serious illness or at the end of life, what does that care look like? What are the qualifications for that care? What are those domains of care? And so that work needed philanthropic support. We needed to have a project director. We needed all of the funds that go to create clinical practice guidelines and to have a systematic review, which is a requirement. And we had to do work with funders to bring in those resources and that revenue to support that specific work. So Amy, you've got the National Consensus Project Guidelines. Are these guidelines that then all the members of the coalition, and I think you've got 14 organizations these days, they all contributed to the guidelines. It's now a consensus set of guidelines, and then they train their members to the guidelines? Or how does that work? So the guidelines work in multiple ways. They were not the first. When we were developing these most recent guidelines, we realized that in prior editions of the guidelines, it was focused on working with a narrow set of stakeholders, a narrow set of experts to write these guidelines. And they were highly respected and cited in journals. However, with the past five years, five to 10 years, there's been a big expansion of palliative care in multiple settings in the for-profit sector. There is also a lot of lack of awareness of what palliative care is. So there was a realization that we can't use a narrow set of experts or even a narrow set of organizations within our coalition to write these guidelines. It was a very deliberate approach to bring additional stakeholders to the table to write these guidelines. We weren't just writing them for ourselves, meaning one of our members that represents the physicians in this space. It wasn't just writing for them. It was writing for the healthcare field in general. We needed to bring in the organization representing nursing homes. We needed to bring in an organization representing the home care industry because palliative care 
needs to be in those places and is being delivered. And if you're not at the table helping to write the guidelines, it's very easy to dismiss them Mm. and say, oh, this expert here is telling me what to do. That's okay. We'll figure it out on our own. But if you bring them to the table and value their expertise, which who are we to tell the Home Care Association what it's like in home care? We're saying, you know, palliative care is a part of home care. Let's write these guidelines together. We'd never done that before. It was a first. So consequently, they have become members of our coalition, but that wasn't our goal. We weren't looking at the guidelines as like, oh, this is a way to grab new members. That is what ended up happening. We were thrilled with one of the leading associations in the home care sphere ended up joining the coalition after that process. But it was a deliberate process to bring in additional organizations that represented a broader set. And not only that, going into this process, we also realized we wanted these guidelines to be used, not just the training for our own members, but we wanted the American Cancer Society to be aware. Guess what? One of the patients that need palliative care the most are people with cancer. Yes, they're in treatment for a cure, but they suffer a lot of pain, a lot of other symptoms, palliative care can help people as they go through the cancer journey. Right. Well, if we want the American Cancer Society to use these guidelines or the Ecology Society, they need to be at the table, not necessarily writing the guidelines, but we held a stakeholder summit to talk about why we were undergoing this process to help raise awareness about palliative care and why it does need to be embedded in oncology care, heart failure care, Alzheimer's care, and that we were sort of seeding these organizations with the idea that once these guidelines come out, we want them to use them, share them, embed them in their practice. Because within the field, we're going to use them. You know, we're sort of preaching to the choir, so to speak. Part of the process was a stakeholder summit where we had 54 national organizations, again, representing the various disease states that their patients need palliative care, but other healthcare organizations that could help disseminate the guidelines and use the guidelines because nobody wanted guidelines that would just sit on that proverbial shelf and not be used. So, Amy, you've got a division that I'm really curious about called the Pediatric Palliative Care Division. Tell us about this. This is really important, and it speaks to the idea that palliative care isn't always for people who are dying, and it's not always for old people. Exactly. So as we said in the beginning, palliative care is appropriate for any age of patient, any diagnosis, and no one likes to talk about children with serious illness or at the end of life, but it is a disservice to our children and families who are living through a very serious illness or at the end of life. And so there are experts, physicians, nurses, social workers, whose specialty is to take care and work with families with children with very serious illness or at the end of life. And as we know, children are not little adults. They are a specialty of their own. Ah, so you can't have the same set of guidelines for children that you do for adults? Not so much guidelines, but the practice. So for example, the guidelines does have pediatric content. At the time, there was no pediatric division of the coalition. So when these guidelines were published a few years ago, there was a loose-knit collaborative, and the pediatric collaborative was a part of creating content. The guidelines do include content and examples to use the guidelines in pediatric settings. 
But our pediatric division, what they are working on is through both an advocacy lens and an access lens, and also convening the field and providing expertise. Healthcare is delivered very differently in this country for children as it is for adults. So for adults, we have federal healthcare programs like Medicare. For children, it's considered a federal program, Medicaid, but it's implemented through the states. If you make a change for children's healthcare in California, it's for children's healthcare in California. It has nothing to do with children's healthcare in New York or Illinois and Indiana, whereas we are gotten very accustomed to working towards changing healthcare policy at the national level. It's very challenging for children when you need to go from state to state. So our pediatric division is working to advise various state coalitions that are working to make access to quality pediatric palliative care more available to children. We actually have a law in the books, a 10-year-old law through the Affordable Care Act that says that children who need hospice or palliative care should be able to have curative treatment along with hospice. One of the things with hospice for adults is to get that rich benefit and services, you are no longer receiving curative treatment. For children, the laws on the books that states should be implementing what we call concurrent care, that they can have hospice and curative treatment together, and it should be paid for. Implementation has not been good. Our pediatric division is mirrored on our coalition. So we have representatives from physicians, social workers, chaplains. But in addition, there are specialists for children that have been peer-reviewed that are beneficial to helping children and families. So there's the Association of Child Life Specialists who are part of our division. The American Psychological Association is a part of our division. They're not members of our coalition, but because they are specific specialty for children, they are part of our division and they are working through providing expertise at a national level on pediatric palliative care issues. Amy, you've got an important transition coming up. The coalition is bringing on a new executive director, Dr. Jessica Hausauer, and at the end of the month, she will become the full-time executive director. What's this transition like and how do you make sure that it's a good one? You've got an interesting take on this. I worked with our board in a very planful way and let them know probably at least six months ago that I would be transitioning out of this role by the end of the year. And we pledged together, we use the Association CEO Succession Toolkit. I'll give a plug for it. It's a preparation guide for leadership transitions. And we had really frank and honest discussions with my board chair to say, I recognize there's a lot of institutional knowledge as the first ED, and we also need to be realistic that it's not going all into a one manual in a book that you plop on someone's desk and say, you know, we're beyond that. But we went through with my 2.5 staff away using technology, SharePoint of organizing my brain and organizing what we do into information chunks, as well as an overview that is not overwhelming. This past month, our month of overlap is, again, very deliberate and very much a smooth transition of people, of making sure we are communicating as transparently as possible and 
the next step after a month of overlap will be just a consulting as needed. Never want to be one of those EDs who overstays their welcome, but want to be as helpful as possible to see the coalition thrive. Amy, what an amazing interview. I want to thank you for being on the show and thank you so much for everything that you've done as part of the coalition for patients and their families. And I hope that when the next comes up that you'll come back and tell us all about it. Will do. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!